0: All right, everybody, how are you guys doing tonight? Good, good. All right. Let's, uh, Lord willing, I think we're going to finish the book of Joshua tonight, and we'll be moving into Judges. Um, and before we walk out of here tonight, we're going we're gonna to have a time of prayer for our, our brother, Pastor Steve, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. If I, uh, We'll talk about that at the end. Mm-hmm. Let's turn our Bibles, Joshua, chapter 23, please. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Lord, I um, ask you to go before us right now, Lord. I pray, God, give us calmness of mind and body. I pray right now, Lord Jesus, you would open your word to us. And Lord, it would settle in the depths of our hearts and be made well, Lord God, to produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. I pray, God, as we look at Joshua here and this man, Lord, such a beautiful man, a man after, Lord, not only your heart like David, but, Lord, he represents all and shows all of the most precious qualities, not only a servant, but a brother, and, Lord, just a desire to follow you, and I, I just love every part of this book of Joshua. I thank you for the privilege, Lord to study this together. That we wouldn't be anxious, Lord, that we wouldn't, we'd be courageous, as you tell us to be in the word here. She spoke to Joshua, speak to our hearts here tonight to be bold in the days we're living. And we pray and ask this in your holy name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people prayed. Amen, Amen. all right. Joshua chapter 23. We'll just begin right there. We've looked and left off last in chapter 22 when there was the altar. If you remember, they had not been told to erect that altar, but they, uh, they did that because they, wanted, they said they wanted to bear witness to their children as a remembrance, a memorial, but God had already done that. In the Jordan, by putting those 12 memorial stones in the Jordan and obviously on the other side of the Jordan. So, we saw that what it's like in religion compared to relationship with Christ to not put things in, in, a, in a place that, you know, we venerate an object or something else rather than Jesus Christ. I think that's simply what I think the Lord meant us to take away from that lesson there, you know, Christ and Him crucified. Amen. We can all do that. So as we go to chapter 23, Joshua's farewell address. I mean, I, I, get, uh, I get choked up, man. I mean, I think of Joshua and this beautiful man. He loved Israel. He loved the, the family. And to think he knows 110 years old, he's going to pass off the scene. And, you know, just he's going to, I mean, in chapter 24, he's going to speak in the first person of God. One of the most unique chapters we have in all of the Bible, when he begins to say, Thus saith the Lord, and he says, I, and he starts speaking as though he is the direct prophet and mouthpiece of God. So significant for us to see this. Well, let's begin in chapter 23, verse 1. Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies. As I mentioned, this is Somewhere around 15 years later, from chapter 22, uh, you may want to make a note in your Bible. Some 15 years later, okay? In Israel's experience, this beautiful time of rest, they were told to do what? They were told to go in and occupy the land that God had given them. And so it says that as he did this to Israel from their, all their enemies round about, that Joshua's old, advanced in age, right? He's 110 years old at this point. If you remember back in Joshua chapter 13, God had already told him, (laughs) you're old, Joshua, and he's only even older now. And he's like, Joshua, you're still old, man. And he's telling him that. Well, hmm. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for the heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. And they said, we know, Joshua, we know. No. Mm-hmm. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you, for the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I've cut off as far as the great sea westward is Mediterranean there. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised. He's kind of going back and he's reminding them. He says, look, even though I go off the scene, the promises of God haven't changed. You're going to go in and you're going to possess much of this land. But remember, they hadn't taken all of Israel yet. And he says, but God's going to give this to you and he's going to give you the victories. He's going to give you the battles. Please don't forget his promises. Because when you forget his promises and you turn away from God, that's that's when you begin to trust in yourself and it becomes self-reliance and self-dependence. Joshua's saying, Don't do that. I watched your fathers do that when they were at Kadesh Barnea. I watched so many of that generation die. He says, It doesn't have to be that way for you. Therefore, and Joshua knew this well, he had been told this on numerous occasions Joshua, be courageous. be courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. And lest you go among these nations that who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods. In other words, you're not going to practice the idolatry and the pagan different things that are going on there, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them because again that would be idolatry anything between your soul and god is idolatry but you shall hold fast to the lord your god as you have done to this day for the lord has driven out from before you great and strong before you excuse me great and strong nations but as for you no one has been able to stand against you to this day isn't that remarkable i mean remarkable miraculous you know when god is for you who can really be against you Miraculous. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord God is he who fights for you, as he promised you. Now, I want you to see something here, and we're going to kind of pause in verse 11. (laughs) Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. I don't know as we were going through this if, if you saw the three things that God pointed out very clearly in this passage. Allow me to take you back To the first one, right? If you look back to verse 6, keep God's word. Therefore, be courageous to keep all that is written in the book, all that I've given you. Keep my word and my commandments and statutes. That's what he's saying here. He says, keep them all. That's the first thing. The second thing he said, look down to verse 7. Unless you go among the nations, those who remain among you, you shall not make mention or name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. Uh, you shall not serve them, nor bow down to them. What is he talking about there? You are to be holy and separate. Holy and separate is the second thing. And then the third thing, what did he give instruction on? Right there in verse eleven. Therefore take careful heed to yourselves that you love. The Lord your God. Read his word, keep his commandments, be holy and separate, and love God. Do you want to know what it is to please Jesus? Do those three things. Read his word, his instruction. Be holy and separate, and don't be a part of the world. And love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And likewise, others. That's what he's saying here. Or else, and notice there's an else, that means there's a choice, isn't there? There's a choice. He says, or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them, and they to you, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you. Isn't that interesting? The world is a snare and a trap. You know, it's that idea of always, always be concerned when your flesh is wrestling with the spirit. These are snares and traps, he says. You know, you think about it. It's a remnant of these nations. Make marriages with them. You know, what's the harm, Lord? Well, because they're a snare and a trap. Anything contrary to the word of God is a snare and a trap. We may not see it that way at first. It may even look harmless. But God's trying to protect us, isn't he? He loves us. He wants to keep us out of danger. He's a good dad. He's a really good dad. Some of us don't know what it is to have a good dad. Maybe we're, we're born, you know, an orphan, or maybe we didn't have a dad that was around and we don't understand what it is to relate to a dad. But our father in heaven, oh, what a great father he is. He, he protects his children and desires to do that. He says, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges and on your sides and thorns with your eyes. I mean, that just sounds painful. Until you perish from the, this good land which the Lord your God is giving you. He says, he says, it's going to wear you down. It's going to eventually consume you. And you're not going to be able to stand. You're not going to be able to control your sin any longer. In the beginning, you may think you have control of it, but it's going to consume every aspect of your being until finally you are so engrossed in your sin that you, you can do nothing but cry out for help. Help me, Lord Jesus, help me. Have we, has anybody cried that prayer? Help me, Lord Jesus. Amen. Help me, Lord Jesus. He, he also is pointing this out, that this is a Susan Vastral covenant. Do you know what that is? Two different types of covenants you read in all the scripture. They're, they're broken down very simply. Royal Grant... A royal grant covenant is the uh, Abrahamic covenant. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, it's a covenant that's based on God's commitment and promises, and it doesn't require anyone to do uh, something in response to keep that commitment or covenant that God has established. The Abrahamic covenant, that's why today Israel is still entitled to all of that land because it's God's land and it's an Abrahamic covenant, and no one has the right to violate God's covenant which is why he put Abraham to sleep with the first uh, example of a, uh, you know, sleep medicine there, and put him under, and he walked between them, and God walked between the animals and ratified that covenant, if you remember that, in Genesis. Now, the opposite of that, or I shouldn't say opposite, but the difference of that is a Susan Vassarov covenant. A Susan Vassarov covenant is a covenant in which God promises one thing in response to you doing another, or this. So the Davidic covenant is a Susan Vassaril covenant, right? In some ways it's royal grant, but it's Susan Vassaril. Hey, if, if you keep this, God's going to protect you and keep you in the land. What kind of covenant did we just read about here? Susan Vassaril, right? Because God says, if you don't commit idolatry, if you don't do these things, I am going to give you victory throughout this land. I will give it all over to you. It will all be yours. But if you go back, notice he said that right in verse 12, go back. Their fathers had that talk track, didn't they? Why couldn't we go back to where? Where did they want to go back to? Egypt to the flesh pot. They went back to Egypt with a flesh pot, right? That's what he, he he says, don't, don't do that. Don't go back. And he's telling the next generation, because you know what? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. More is caught than taught. You want to know what's happening in your home? Look in the mirror. Look at your wife. Look at your husband. Then look at your children. It's not all that different. More is caught than taught. So he's telling them, hey, if you do this, otherwise. Now, I mean, clearly this is going to be prophetic as we read the rest of this. But he's going to go on and say, and when you do this. is <laughs> not that just blow you away? I mean, God already knows it. And yet God extends the grace and mercy and love and still gives the free will choice not to. That's real love. How about it, friends? That's real love. Look what he says here. Let me just read back to verse 14 again. But this day I am going the way of all the earth. What's that? What's the way of all the earth? Death. That's right. Unless we're raptured, every one of us is going to die. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that no one or not one thing has failed to all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. How could he be so confident in this? I mean, he's 110 years old. He's about to die. Where is his confidence coming from? From God. Because he understood and he looked to, by his namesake of Joshua, as we would say in the Greek, Jesus, a forward pointing, a typology. He knew it awaited him. He believed God's promises through faith that absent with this body, he would be present with the Lord. And that's why he wasn't fretting. That's why he wasn't afraid at that moment. All his life, God had to tell Joshua, be courageous, don't be afraid. Yet here he is, and he's about to die. And God doesn't have to tell him not to be afraid anymore. And he doesn't have to tell him to be courageous anymore, does he? Because he's, noisy, he's going home. And that is just giving him such a rest and a peace. That's beyond words as he's passing this down. Now, let's take a look at a couple things. When you think about the world as a snare, turn in your Bibles. Hold your finger here because the New Testament has some things to say about this. Please turn to 1 John chapter 2, if you would. 1 John, chapter 2. You know, John warned us about this very thing. He says, do not love the world, verse 15. He says, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. You know, when I was growing up, my mom used to have a funny way of saying things. I don't know if it's an Italian proverb. You know, I'll say it that way. But mom used to look at me and she said something, and maybe it was a direct command or something she told me to do. And if I look back at it almost to say, like, are you sure or whatever, you know, she would say, did I stutter? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, did God stutter? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I think that is as clear as you can get. That's a warning. That's a warning for every one of us here. For all that is in the world, look what he tells us is in the world, because this is what you'll get if you chase the things of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And he says, and just in case you get a little bit too comfortable here, just remember that this world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God will abide forever. Amen? It's a good word, Lord, (laughs) as, of course, all of your word is. Look at Luke chapter 21, please. Luke chapter 21, before you make your way all the way back there. Look with me at verse 34. Again, a warning by Jesus. Chapter 21 of Luke, verse 34. But take heed to yourselves... Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day, what day is he talking about? The day of the Lord. That day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Why would it be a snare? What did we just read about and learn about in Joshua? Joshua? What did we just learn? It goes back to an age-old principle that Jesus had, well, God to Joshua, the father, had been instructing Joshua at that time about the children not to get caught up in idolatry, that the things of the world would be a snare to them, right? It would be a trap. And what is Jesus doing here? He's saying the same thing, isn't he? He's saying the exact same thing. God's word doesn't ever change. He's the Ancient of Days. For it will come as a snare to all those who dwell in the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all the things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Because no one can go to the Father but through the Son, right? First John chapter 5. Is it verse 22? You be Bereans. First John chapter 5 verse 22, I believe. You be Bereans. You can turn back to Joshua. So clearly, God means what he says, and he says what he means. He's not grammatically challenged. And it's not just a principle he was giving to Israel, is it? It's a principle he's given to the church today. We're not to be meddling in the world or the cares of the world. Right? We understand that we, we work in the world, don't we? We do. And, th- and there's nothing wrong with that. But that's where it stops, because we have a ministry of reconciliation. So we're not getting buddy and buddy and going getting drunk at the gin house, right? That's where it stops. Sorry, I used an old term for something. At, at the bar or the pub, right? That's, that's you understand what I'm saying? That's, that's what he's saying. You, you, you're in the world. You're going to do that? Okay, go ahead. I, I'm going to. What about when you're on business trips? I used to travel all the time. Man, many, I would say they were lonely nights. They weren't lonely nights, because me and Jesus were a multitude. I'd be back in my hotel room on my knees. I'd be praying for every single room in that hotel. I'd walk by the floors with my Bible. People probably thought I was crazy. 10 o'clock, I couldn't sleep. You know, I just had this big dinner, you know, you go out and you have the a lot of butter, a lot of stuff like that. It's very rich, you know, food. You can't just go right to bed, and, you know, your stomach. And I just walk and pray. I just walk and pray. I'd go. You know, the guys were going out, and they were going to the clubs and all this. No, I just go back to my room. Just pray and talk to the Lord. And they just, just you know... Walk right down the rows and just think about how many people needed prayer. Thinking about how many evil things and sadistic things had been done in those hotels and how I was asking the Lord Jesus Christ to come in and make his presence known and cast out all of that evil. Do you do that? Do we do that in our schools? Parents, you go pick up your kids sometimes. You ever walk through the halls praying as you walk by lockers? Grandparents? How about at the, the clubs? You know, maybe you go to sports clubs and uh, they got the locker rooms and you can go in and the kids get, I, I was a hockey player, used to be able to go in and, you know, you could watch the, you help your kids get ready for the game. I don't know if they do it that way anymore or if they changed rules, but you used to sit there and pray in the locker rooms, right? Every opportunity you have to minister, take advantage of it. Don't let, as God says it best, redeem the time. Redeem the time. Because not one thing of the word is the word of God has failed. Not one thing, as he says right here in verse 14. Therefore it shall come to pass that as although the good things have come upon you which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord your God will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from the good land which the Lord your God has given you. He, he said this is going to happen, right? When you have, notice, not if you have, when you have, transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. Well, that's pretty sobering. That's a wake-up call, in it? If there's anybody here tonight that doesn't know Jesus Christ, today's the day of salvation. What are you waiting for? If you hear this on the radio and you're driving in the car and you're wondering, wow, well, was that a coincidence? No. Jesus loved you. He died for you. He wants you to come home. He, reconcil- he wants to reconcile you to himself. And all you need to do is ask Jesus to come in your heart and believe that he is Lord and Savior. That's it. He made it so Simple for us. So we couldn't blow it. It's a ministry reconciliation. Nobody has to go to hell. It's a choice. By rejecting God. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Now that's a very important place. I don't think there's any coincidence that he brought him to Shechem. I don't know. You, I don't know about you guys. You've read the, through the Bible many a times, probably like I have. You know, you've, I've taught through the Bible, you know, many times. You go through the Bible and I, um, as I'm getting older, I go through areas of the Bible and it's, it's like the Lord just speaks to me. They're, they're, they're real for me. Every, well, every aspect of the Bible is real for me, but, but there's areas where I, I, I tend to kind of, you know, some of us grew up hanging out, you know, um, you know, where I grew up, hanging out on the block, you know, you'd hang out with your buddies, you'd go out and play stickball, you'd do some different, I know times would change, but you understand, you do some of those things, you'd go out and play. When I think of this, Shechem, you know why this is significant? This is where Abraham heard the voice of God. This is where Abraham heard the voice of God, and here Joshua is, and they're all being gathered, and he's gathering the leaders together to this place. And I wonder if it's like when people go to Israel for the first time, you know, they get off the plane and they kind of look around and they begin to weep because they're in the Holy Land and the fragrance and just being in the very place that God has placed his name. Overwhelming, right? Overwhelming. And, uh, you know, their whole lives saving to be able to get there, just knowing one way or another they were going to get there, whether it was through the rapture plan or one way or another they were going to get there, right? Revelation Chapter 19, They're coming. we're coming back, so we know that. But, you know, I, I can't help but if, if Joshua stood up and he looked around and he went, this is where Father Abraham, this is where he heard from God. And he just took it all in. He's like, this is it. This is the last place I'm going to breathe and live. This is the last place I'm going to take my breath. What a precious place this is. You, do, you, do you ever, I don't know, married couples, you know, you remember where you got married? You know, you took your sweetie to, and you proposed there, and there was a small place called Traveler's Rest. It's in New York, and it was downstate, and I, uh, I took Lisa there. I remember going to the garden. It had this beautiful garden, and you'd go in, and it was this old it's called Traveler's Rest because it was an old house that used to be as they, people were making their way from areas in different parts of upstate to downstate, they would come through this area and they would be tired because they had traveled long distances. And so their carriages and their horses would have a place to, and they could come in and they could sit down and have a meal because it wasn't like it is today where you know you got the coolers and all of that. They salted the food maybe and that got them a couple days, but then they relied on those places they would stop along the way to eat had a German motif it was a German cuisine and I remember you'd walk in there and you'd go in and it was just this really beautiful elegant type place but simple do you know what I mean when I say elegant and simple at the same time you can picture it in your mind right and you know you'd look out at this garden and I remember going to Lisa you know and saying look (laughs) yeah I, I I wasn't the most romantic guy my my uh yeah surprise right my uh my proposal was like, "Honey, I want you to marry me." I got down on my knee, and I'm like, "And by the way, there's about a good acre worth of dirt back there." If the answer don't go the right way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and she wasn't surprised by that. Surprisingly, she's like, "You're an unclehead. I love you. Come, you know." And it was the it was the you know. We went in and had the best best dinner of my life. Everything I ate that night, like it couldn't have got any better. I don't think I taste, and I'm a ta- I love Italian food, but that German food, I-, I don't think I've ever tasted something so good in my life. And then the walk afterward, you know, it, it was that special place. Maybe you, you have those in your lives, those places that are significant and mean something really special to you. Some of us, it's our homes. You know, my grandfather, when my grandmother passed away, his home was that place. He'd come in the home and he would sit there often and he would just look at grandma's chair and it would just, you know, he knew. He knew she was with the Lord. But he took it all in, and it was the fragrance. I swear I'd walk in the place, and I'd be like, it's Mothball City. You know, what's going on? But Grandma liked the mothballs. He never got rid of them. I'm like, come on, Grandpa, get rid of you. Get rid of the mothballs. You dying. You're killing me here, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You yeah, the Italian families, you know, either that or everything's covered in plastic. Why plastic? I never understood that. Anyway, you sit down, it's all plastic. So. But some of you that are Italian might be like, I don't know what he's talking about. We're not, boy, if we go to an Italian house, we see all the, because they had living rooms that you didn't actually sit in. They were set up and they had plastic on it. And if you went in there and you didn't went in there with your shoes on or anything else, you're going to get the belt. And, and, and grandma or grandpa get you. And boy, I'll tell you, they, they were like all of a sudden Clint Eastwood. I mean, they, they, they would, you know, it was like a Yoda move. They'd be walking slow and then all of a sudden they're like, you know, and they'd hit you from across. I was like, wow, Grandma, I thought Grandma wore you know, a lot of glasses, couldn't see with the diabetes. He says, he says son, she'll take you out. <laughs> but I can remember Grandpa, that, the home was like that. He, he, he loved that house because it reminded him of Grandma. Never got rid of that house until he passed, and that was the way it was going to be, and he made sure everybody in the family knew it. We all have those things. I just want you to understand the, the reality of what is happening here when Joshua was standing in this place that Abraham heard from God. It wasn't just coincidental. It wasn't just going through the motion. It was extremely significant. And so Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. Isn't that amazing? Now, I want you to pay attention to what's going to happen in verse 2 here. Joshua is going to be used by God speaking in the first person, I, as though it is him as the Lord. But what he really is being used as is a prophet, a mouthpiece of God. It's quite... We don't see that anywhere else in the book of Joshua at all. And we don't see that very many places in our Bible when God spoke through someone so powerfully. We see other prophets, certainly. They did that. But the way he took on the first person, I, please... If you will pay attention, it's striking. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Teran, and, you know, that's the father of Abraham. You remember he was an idol maker. Of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Joshua wasn't alive then, but God was there. God was there in this place. Then I took your fathers. Who's I? God. Then I took your fathers, Abraham, from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. I want you to think about this. Please go back in your memory. We've already gone through Genesis. How many times did Abraham wonder what God was up to? How many times did Sarah say, are we going to ever have that child? that God had promised us. And many times they felt alone, because and, and afraid, fearful and frightened, didn't they? So much so that Abraham would, would lie and say that Sarah was his, I mean, you know, people say, wow, it's a half-lie. A half-lie is a lie. Yes, he was his sister, but half-sister like that, but he, he was afraid, right? And yet we read, and I, I find such great encouragement, And I pray to God, this encourages everybody here tonight, that even when we don't sense the presence of God, he is with us. He's with us every second, every moment. I believe that with everything that I am. Everywhere we go, everything we experience, God is with us. Abraham didn't think so maybe some of the times when he was lying to try to save save his own skin, not even worried about his poor bride there. But God was with him. He says, then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Can I ask you a question? What didn't he say he did? There's a whole group of people that were birthed out of them. He was a maidservant to Sarah. What was her name? Hagar. He's recounting so many things. God didn't do that, did he? No, that was man's wisdom. But he allowed it. Sometimes we see things that unfold in our lives. Well, God didn't stop me. Therefore, he must... He must be doing this. No, the enemy can open doors, too. He can open windows, for that matter, as well. Right? You get you with me? That's why we've got to be in such deep prayer. We've got to really just be surrendered to God so we know, Lord, is it thy will, is it your will be done? Well, I think about it as he, he goes through and he says, look, but Jacob and the children went down to Egypt. Also, I sent, and, and isn't that interesting, he says, but they went down to Egypt. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt, according to what I did among them. Afterwards, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horses, the Red Sea. You know, again, I I imagine they've heard this story before. The children had heard this counts. But there's something different about hearing it in the very first place, where God spoke to Abraham and the promises that he gave to Abraham were unfolded before their very eyes. How many hundreds of years passed by until finally it was fulfilled and they were standing in that place and looking and going, this is fulfilled promises, prophecy. We, we've seen it in our lifetime, some of us. I, I, I can't say I have, but 1948, right? people being gathered back to Israel. I, yes, it happened. I wasn't alive at the time, but, but I can bear witness to it in this generation to say, my, my mom was alive for that. You know, to, to, to look at that. My dad was alive for that. I mean, I, I want you to think about all the things that have, <clears throat> pardon me, prophetically happened just in our lifetime. All the archaeology and all the discoveries, all the things they're finding in Israel. Every single one of them. Once again, the Bible's right. Science is just catching up. He says, then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea to the Egyptians, pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord and he put darkness between you and the Egyptian and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. It was a long time, wasn't it? 38 to 40 years. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Ziphor, king of Moab, arose to make war against you and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you, but I wouldn't listen to him, right? That's what he's saying, but I wouldn't listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites and the Perzites, the Canaanites, Hittites, and the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Jebu, by the way, is Jerusalem. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you. And he literally means a hornet. He's not, this isn't some type of, you know, imagery. He's saying, I literally sent a hornet before you, which drove them out before you, and also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with the sword or with your bow. God did it. I've given you a land for which you did not labor and cities for which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and of the olive groves, which you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord. We can all do that. Again, I draw our attention again, one more time to Proverbs. If you want to turn there um, quickly, Proverbs chapter eight. again, verse 13. you probably have it marked up a number of times, many different places in your Bible. But this is another good place to write that note in your margin. Proverbs 8:13 is a good reminder. What is the fear of the Lord? Every time you see something in the word of God that you don't know or you don't have the answer to, see, see, you know, search out the Bible because the Bible is the best commentary for the Bible. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. We can all do that, can't we? We can hate evil. Pride, we can hate pride, can't we? Despise it. Arrogance, yep, we can despise that can hate that and the evil way and a perverse mouth i hate he says anybody have an objection with any of that here as a christian as a believer in christ all those things i i can do that i can fear the lord it's a reverential fear i can do those things right so therefore fear the lord serve him in sincerity and in truth Put away those things from you, right? And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. He's gonna say, serve the Lord in the remaining fifteen times. You think he wants Israel to understand? And you think he wants us to understand that? Serve the Lord. <laughs> and it seems, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods, because you're going to serve somebody, you're going to have a master, just pick your master is what he's saying. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in which the land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Very, very well-known scripture. Probably all of you have memorized it in here. But for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. That's an individual choice, isn't it? Has everybody made their calling and election sure here tonight? Have you done that? Have you made your calling and election sure? Can you say that for me and my house, we serve the Lord? Yeah, good, good. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, and, and this, is, this is, a you know, some people have Struggled with this verse here, because Joshua was going to say, you can't do it. You can't serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. What do you think Joshua might be saying there? The same thing that you and I had to come to the conclusion after we strived and strived and strived, kicked against the goads, how many times, the pricks, until we finally got to that place. I just had a sister tonight say, hey, remember what the Lord said About his yoke. What's his yoke again? And his burden? Light. Yoke is easy, burden light. When you start to walk against that and you start to do something else, what do you call that? Striving, right? You start striving. What's he saying here? He's saying you can't do this in your own strength. That's what he's saying. You can't serve the Lord, for he's a holy God. You can't do this in your own strength. And I can say amen. You know, there's a time where I I really wrestled with that because like most of us, I want to please God. But until I learn to surrender and submit to God and realize that it's his righteousness that's become my righteousness. And my peace is brought by him, nothing that I possess in myself. You know, if I leave... I don't know about you guys, if I leave it up to me, things don't end well. They just don't. It doesn't take too long before a sister of mine said tonight, you end up at the end of a pier. You know what that means, right? You end up at the end of a pier. You're sitting there and you're without a paddle and you're trying to figure it out. Yeah, you know, come back in, right? Come back in Why are you way out there. I bet you there's people here tonight that are way out there struggling, and they've been trying to figure this out. Maybe some people have been struggling with religion and not relationship. Maybe people have been, maybe people were raised in the denominational approach where you had to keep all of these rules. I don't know what else to call them. Not, and I'm not talking about sacraments that we find in the Bible, but I'm saying rules that were addition to and you strive for so long, and you grew up with that, and boy, it wrecked things for you, didn't it? Because you couldn't do it. Just like we can't keep the law. You know, the funny thing is, we were never intended to. Otherwise, Jesus Christ wouldn't have come from the very foundations of the world to redeem all of humanity. It was always a tutor, as we read in the New Testament until the time at which Jesus Christ came. And so Joshua passing on an incredible principle here that we need to learn. And I pray that maybe some folks here tonight just say, wow, I've been holding on too tight to the world and I've been carrying around a really big backpack of stuff that's not mine to carry in the faith. It's never been mine. And oh, by the way, when you look around, I'll be a guy with a backpack too. None of us have arrived. It's faith by faith, steps of faith, every one of us. And that's good, because we're going through this together. And God's brought us together to encourage and strengthen us through that walk. I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by that. Well, he says... He is a jealous God. We read that in Exodus chapter 20. He will not forgive your transgression nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, and I want you to remember this in verse 21, circled in your Bibles as we go through the book of Judges next, because we're going to be moving from the time of an individual leader like Joshua or a Moses to now a time of judges. We're going to be reading that next week. So circle that right there, because that's an important point. He says, if you forsake the Lord and serve the gods, right? Says, And then verse 21, and the people said, Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Hmm. Why do you think God said, you're far from me with your heart, but your lips are close to me? Too many people walking around doing that today say one thing with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. And you know the cool thing about it? God just wants you to lay that down. He loves you. He's not looking to beat you for that. He's not looking to turn around and chastise you for that. All he wanted them to do was repent and say, you're right, Lord. You know, forgive me. You know, let me get that right now and just come in and be loved and feel the love of God upon them, you know? Isn't that wonderful? He's not, he's not mean. He's not a mean dad. He doesn't fly off the handle like that. He's very measured, God. Again, some people don't have fathers that they can equate that to. Some of their fathers threw off the hand of the horrible, terrible, abusive things. And they have a hard time relating to God because of those things that were done in their youth. Your father in heaven's nothing like that. He's that's not that's not God. You need that that man that that's not God. He's loving. He would never do that. His character defies it. He says, your witnesses, right? He says, you bear witness to yourself. So Joshua said to the people, you're witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you. Isn't that interesting? He says, now that we got that covered, you have foreign gods among you right now. Put them away. friends, Look at me with your eyes for a minute, please. If you have foreign gods among you, put them away tonight. Please, put them away. God wants all of your heart. He wants to give you his grace and his mercy and his love. And there's no place for a foreign god in that. It's only going to corrupt what God wants to do so beautifully and peacefully. It's peaceable what he wants to give you. It's a true rest. He says, put away among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. Amen. Then do it, is his point, right? That should have been a commercial. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, will, we will serve in his voice, we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made them for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem, Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, which we have before us today. And he took a large stone and set it up there under an oak. And it was by that, and in that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. We believe archaeologists have found that stone. They believe that they found such a large stone in that area. They believe this could be the stone, the very stone. You can go uh, Google it or, you know, Bing it or whatever. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So every time they would go to Shechem, because that's where the ark's going to be for a long time, until David moves it, right? Or until they get moving it, and then David brings it to Jerusalem. I want you to think about that. Every time they saw that stone, they thought about what Joshua said. This is a witness that you're going to obey God, you're going to keep his commandments and statutes. you know they're, they're not going back to Gilgal necessarily all the time to see that by the Jordan, but they would they would be in Shechem, they would not be able to miss that. And Joshua said to all the people, behold this stone shall be a witness for us, for it has heard the words of the Lord as I just read. It shall therefore be a witness to you lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart each to his own inheritance. Now it came to pass after these things that, the, that Joshua, the son of Nun, the greatest title any of us could ever receive. Underline this in your Bible. The servant of the Lord. It's not the king of for the Lord. It's not the, you know, anything else. You want to put a noblest for the Lord? The servant of the Lord. You know, you know who else was given this great title? Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 34, that's right, verse 5, the servant of the Lord. He died being 110 years old, probably the greatest honor any man could be bestowed. And they buried him with the border of his inheritance of Timnath and Sarah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim and the north side of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who lived out or sorry, who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Wow. The bones of uh, Joseph. I think this is interesting. You might read that and go, what Joseph? Where'd he come on the scene? Because that was the promise that his bones would be with. And so it was brought. The bones of Joseph, with which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they're buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. They buried him in a hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. And I think of the obituary that would have been written Here lies Joshua. God is salvation. Amen. Good book. Good book. Well, now we're going to be, in a month's time, as they would be traveling, we're going to be moving into the book of Judges. We will be in it next week. We're not going to wait the month as they would, but uh, in a month's time, sort of that's what takes place. It's not very long. they're going to continue their, their conquest in Canaan. They have to go back to some of the areas of those lands and to go against the Canaanites. As God said, he was going to give them victory over those battles. So go ahead and read the first few chapters, you know, first two chapters I would read of uh, Judges. Um, and we'll come together next time and we'll line by line, verse by verse. Good study through Joshua. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's stand and I want uh, Pastor Steve and Tammy to come up. Um, I'm going to pray. We're going to close our time out here and we're going to have a time of prayer. Father, I just thank you for all that you've done for us here tonight, Lord. I thank you that um, you strengthen our bones, Lord. You, Lord, hold our very beings in order. I thank you that you do that, Lord. That with you all things is possible. It, It always will be. Strengthen us here tonight. Protect us and heal us. I hear people coughing and sneezing, Lord, and just different ailments, I pray, God, go before us and heal, restore, and redeem. God, I just thank you for those that will hear this message and come to salvation, Lord. I know many will, God, and I thank you that you have recorded all of this, that we all can be strengthened by the walk of Joshua and the Israelites And now as we turn our focus, Lord, we get to see what happens when we don't walk in your commandments and statutes. God, protect us from that. Keep us from this world, Lord. Keep us holy and separate. Bless us in your will. We ask this in your holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.